I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. Are we ready for the AI revolution in our work and education? Well, my next guest on the Business of Intuition is actually one of the pioneers in this revolution. And everywhere you go, you see information about how AI is going to be changing the way we do work. In fact, the September-October edition of the Harvard Business Review, the main title was Reskilling in the Age of AI. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not going away. ChatGPT is just the tip of the iceberg. And my next guest brought to light the transformative role of technology and AI in shaping our work and learning environments. He delved into the development of large language models like ChatGPT, emphasizing their potential to simplify work processes and boost efficiency across the industry, most notably healthcare and project management. He talks about taking the grunt work away from work. While these AI promises enhanced efficiency, they also bring about a shift in how we interact with technology, moving from what he would call a traditional deterministic systems to a more problemistic AI-driven approaches. The implementation of what he calls intelligent objects capable of natural language interaction uh, proposes a future where software not only performs tasks, but, get this, understands and communicates autonomously. So let that one sink in a little bit. So much of the grunt work that we now have to ensure that our phones and our project management systems and all the stuff that runs our businesses could very well be done by the aid of these integrated ecosystems fueled by essentially a variation or an advanced variation of ChatGPT, where there's intelligence that's being shared back and forth without human beings having to do it. Now, in the realm of education, AI's impact is equally groundbreaking, according to my guest. He thinks that we are going to be able to see things like personalized learning experiences, much like many healthcare organizations would propose that they are providing a personalized experience with your care provider, and that we would be adapting to an individual student needs much more so in their learning styles. This evolution towards AI-enhanced education, again, requires rethinking of the human slash machine interface and the roles both play in the learning process. Now, does that mean that we don't have teachers anymore? Heck no, but teachers are going to be a lot more equipped with having tools that they never had before to be able to customize their approach to their students. Masood Alabash is a tech entrepreneur and with a background with electrical engineering and computer science. He's currently leading a task of creating the next generation of human and machine communication ad Zeba Technologies. From 2000 to 2018, Masood was founder, CEO, and chief architect of one of the first cloud-based medical practice management and electronic healthcare record systems, 
which is amazing that you would think um, how the, the practice of healthcare has changed over the years. Masood Alabash on the business of intuition. Masood, it's great to have you on the show. I was thinking as we were, you know, kind of getting brief with each other, getting to know each other a little bit, that I often ask leaders, you know, what's their point of view with respect to their industry? And I know you've done some work in healthcare and so forth. And 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 sometimes people struggle with that. They just think, well, I'm all about the job, I'm all about the work, I'm all about the technology. And and I'm trying to get them to step back and go, Yeah, I get that, but What's your philosophy? What is the, what do you believe is possible within the industry in which you work? And how are you willing to take a stand to make that happen? And when people start to identify that, then there's a certain amount of power and focus that comes to play and people want to follow that kind of power and focus. So I'm going to ask you the same question. What is your point of view these days regarding technology and specifically AI, since it is such an important part and huge disruptor in what's going on right now in society. And I know that you are big in that. What's your point of view when it comes to all of this? Well, I mean, in short, um, and the, the, I'm an engineer, I build things um, and uh, my, but not aimlessly. I, I, I aim to make life easier for humans, for people, for us. And I think technology needs to be at our service. And I would uh, go out and claim that people really shouldn't have much to fear from AI. I mean, just like any new technology, there's a lot of unknowns, obviously, and you know, new to a lot of people. But there's really not much to be afraid of. And AI is a very promising technology, and it's going to really remove the burden of the drudgery aspect of what we call work out of work. So that's the ultimate promise that it has, at least in the short. I mean, there's lots of other discussions about AI and, you know, like uh, existential questions and whether- Which we might get into, but if we, if we remove some of the drudgery, you know, uh, work, what is it that allows us to do more of? I know it's, some people- it allows us to be- We can be more creative. We can, we can have more meaningful relationships. But what is your point of view on that? I agree with that. And then that's a kind of a general way of putting it, um, the, the path to removing the drudgery is not clear. And this is actually something I would like to get into because we could talk about the, what is happening overall in the AI world. And, and I have an analogy that I equate, you know, the AI overall to the transportation industry. You know, it's like you have trucks, you have trains, you have uh, sedans. You know, these are different types of technologies that have been developing over the years. But all of a sudden now, you know, with the chat GPT and a few uh, nice events that occurred over the last couple of years, a brand new sedan with uh, amazing gas mileage and uh, no noise, no pollution has shown up. If you can kind of take that analogy. And it surprised everybody because we didn't think we would be here this quickly. And that's the chat GPT. If your audiences have dealt with chat GPT, they know what I'm talking about. It's uh, you know, it's it's the it's a type of AI that's referred to as large language model LLMs, and the uh, fascinating aspect of these tools, at least from my perspective, is that they, for the first time, they understand natural language, perfect. And uh, the second part of it is they can understand you, and they can try to attempt to answer your questions. And the way ChatGPT basically was uh, modeled is you can imagine it to be a vacuum cleaner that was connected to the internet. 
It sucked all the words and it just consumed everything and it compressed everything into this ball of knowledge. And when you kind of give it a, a prompt and you're tickling that engine and it spits out the relevant knowledge that's, uh, that, that you're in, inquiring. And, uh, you know, most of the time it's uh, giving you an accurate no knowledge and information. Sometimes it hallucinates. This is like a, at least that's the technical term. I call it confident bullshitting. Um, <laughs> but that actually is, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we humans do that too. We know some a lot people of who do that pretty well too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, but the, the thing is that the problem with the generative part of these large language models is that they, it's the aspect of not they're not reliable. So that's actually what has been a point of interest to me as an engineer, because we engineers, we built things that are predictable. You know, the engineering systems have to be predictable. They are what we refer to as deterministic machines. Uh, whereas these large language models are probabilistic machines. They're extremely useful, as we can see, like a lot of uh, teenagers figured out uh, how useful it is by uh, generating <laughs> their homeworks early yeah, on in right. the early days. Uh, but uh, uh, if, you, if you work with them, they're, they're just amazing tools. Uh, they're helping us write better programs. They're helping people write better emails. They, they, you can feed a document to it and say, summarize this, give me the highlights. So they're, it, it, we're, because human knowledge is encapsulated in, in words, it, they're extremely useful for the first time that you can push natural language in it and interact with these machines using natural language. Right? Um, so when, let me ask you if I could. I think I'll, most people, not everybody understands ChatGPT right now. Here we are in December of 2023. I just came from Chicago and I was asking a bunch of uh, construction engineers how many people knew it. And they, maybe about half of them did, you know. But it's getting, it's getting to be more ubiquitous, you know, um, although new. Where do you see all this going? I mean, you have a program, I think, called Amadeus. What's the next flashy vehicle, using your analogy, that's coming down the pike that we should be aware of and maybe even start preparing for? Okay, so the, the technology we've developed, it's kind of unique where the industry as a whole is working on these large language models, which are you know, based on the, the neural network technology. And the way they work is you feed them a lot of data, you give them a lot of computational power. The more computational power, the more data you give them, they're, they're referred to as parameters, uh, the smarter they become. And they can solve uh, all kinds of problems And they, as they scale that. So the industry is basically saying, let's do more of this. And by the way, let's figure out how to make it more safe or more predictable, because sometimes it produces uh, these answers that are very confidently produces them, but they're obviously wrong if you're an expert in the field. So the industry is focused on that. Our technology, our approach is saying, no, look, uh, we look at traditional programming, you know, the, where the software that we've been building, that's a different kind of technology. It's a different kind of intelligence, actually. It's more predictable. It's more deterministic. The model we've come up with is how to combine these two. So how do you combine, basically get the deterministic part uh, that is very predictable have that control this probabilistic engine, basically. So you can have a fully predictable result. As a result, that means that your accounting software becomes super smart. Your electronic medical record becomes unbelievably smart. Not just this rigid price, this screen place. It'll be an intelligent electronic medical record. Or, oh, that's for example... I, 
I, so if I could, I, but let's, let's just take the, the electronic medical record. Um, what would be different? How would it be smarter? Okay, that's a go. Okay, so how would it be smarter? So, like, I mean, so I love the theory of it, but give me the practical. I'm a, I'm a patient going into my patient portal, and, and it's got, obviously, the, the newer versions that you just described where I'm a physician who's entering in information about a particular patient I just met with. What's different that we don't have now that you're describing? Okay, so um, what we have now is basically the automation of the physical process that was basically invented in the early 1900s, and we started automating that in the 1960s. And by 1900, I mean the invention of the assembly line. And that assembly line allowed the large number of humans to come together and build sophisticated machines. Now, we basically abstracted the assembly line and called it workflow. And workflow is this multidimensional, really complex assembly line that runs into 15 floors of a big building with lots of professionals, with PhDs and master's degrees and accountants and doctors. And so we're connected together through these workflows. Now, we had physical processes. We wrote stuff on a piece of paper and then we handed it from one person to another. But the computer showed up and said, give me those pieces of paper and now let me stick them on the screen. And it just facilitates a lot of communication. It makes it easier and that we're stuck with that model. And these forms that are on screen, they're dumb. And so today you go to the doctor's office, somebody takes uh, you know, your blood pressure, they go and punch that on a form on the screen and save it. And that's your you know, temperature, your blood pressure. And then the doctor in another room basically looks that information up and he reads. Or right. somebody takes an x-ray and saves that x-ray in your medical record, and the doctor comes up, and the x-ray shows up, and the doctor is looking at the x-ray. So it's really facilitating of that data. And so each person has a particular screen, and you know the engineer takes the x-ray, takes the x-ray, saves that screen. The doctor shows up in his uh, office. He sees his own screen. He sees your blood uh, uh, temperature, your um, heart pressure, and, and here's the x-ray. Right? Right. right. That's the current model. It's shuffling data around in a very, uh, what I would say, dumb way. But it's the physical process that's been automated. Now, pause that's that. That's the way it is now. That's the way it happens. It is now. Okay. Okay. So that, I think since, we all can agree. It's the beginning of automation. Now, What's the 2.0 what version? 2.0 version, if you use our technology, the technology that we are proposing, which is called object messaging and an intelligent object, it's a completely mm-hmm. different way of architecting software, using embedding large language models inside every aspect of that software. Here's how and again, large language models is another acronym or basically a way of saying chat GPT, but in a that's more right. engineer that's speak. Right. Got it. Okay. That's, that's I right. want to make sure that's that Well, you know, chat GPT is the brand like uh, Ford, you know, Ford uh, or whatever. But, yes. but they're all in internal combustion engine, you know. So it's like yeah, a yeah. large language Got model is, is, is refers to that. Um, ChatGPT is just another brand. There, there are a few number of, you know, Facebook has got its own uh, right. large language. Amazon, model. they're just yeah, yeah. Amazon, and everybody's going to come up. Now, let's go back to the doctor scenario. Okay, I'm I'm the engineer. Uh, I'm the technician who takes the X-ray. The patient shows up. I take the X-ray. I save the X-ray. The X-ray knows that I took it. Now, this X-ray now, there's no longer just a dumb little film. There's a large language model attached to it. It can communicate with everyone in, in, using natural language. It also has memory, just like a person. It has segmented memory 
we have memories that we keep track of everything that happens to us. Uh, if I go and talk to my mother, I keep that information in a separate area. When I go talk to my wife, I keep that information in a separate area. The, interact the interactions that happen with her. So right. if we, if I if we're at a party, so we segment that. So the, that X-ray has a memory similar to that. The X-ray is intelligent because it can keep track of its stakeholders. It knows that I took the X-ray. It's been programmed by the programmers to identify itself. And this is what we do traditionally because when, when the designers designed it, saying whenever you're an X-ray, okay, if you're chest X-ray, you need to use this address on the internet that is Mayo Clinic's uh, chest X-ray reader engine. That's another AI. Go over there, fly over there, over the network and give it this uh, permission token that'll allow you to get in mm -hmm. and then go feed yourself let get the output, which is in English, then read it and understand it. And if you've got these issues with you, go immediately show yourself up to the doctor. So this x-ray is taken, chest x-ray, huh. feeds itself to that model of the network. The output comes in. It has an LM, just like an individual. It's an intelligent object. It reads it. It says, oh, oh darn, I'm cancerous. I fly immediately to uh, Dr. Dean's inbox, shows up, hey, I'm cancerous, hello. So, and then you go, well, I don't, you know, okay, well, let's see. You open up the boxes, oh, I see, there's the report. And the report is attached. The report is not in some file, somebody carrying it. That x-ray carries the actual report. The x-ray manages all the information about itself, everything, just like an individual. Now, actually, that's inspired from biology. I'm going to segue, and I'm going to come back to the story to see how interesting it is. In, in the back of our brain, there's not a little file folder that keeps track of information about the cell in your liver. The liver cell is intelligent. It's self-contained. It knows everything about itself. It knows that it's a cell liver. It functions like a cell. It knows its neighbors. It communicates with its neighbors. The collection of those cells make a liver. The liver is an intelligent uh, component. It's a super component. It knows it's a liver. It communicates with the rest of the system using veins, arteries, and, and neural networks that the nerves that connect it to the rest of the components, to your kidneys, to your lungs, to your brain. So that is an intelligence, a collection of intelligence system. But when I talk to you, I don't talk to your liver. I talk to the top LLM that you have, and we communicate using natural language, right? But then and the, you communicate, and your brain communicates to your, your liver and whatnot they, 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 in, in their own language. The model we're suggesting is that if you rebuild these systems, let's go back to the x-ray. So the x-ray shows up in your inbox, says, I'm cancerous. And so, oh, why, does, why is that? It's like, here's a report I just got out of this engine in Mayo Clinic, and I've highlighted all the areas for you. Just quickly look at it. And oh, okay, by the way, Dr. Dean, I know you're just the primary doctor. And I know this is a special cancer, and I identified in the network based on my programming. Part of our network, uh, Dr. Jones, he's you know, in another clinic in, in Boston. He's a specialist. I talked to his appointment object, cleared the next two minutes, set up a call. And by the way, you had another appointment, uh, but I looked at it. It was just a regular visit, but this is a, a clear one. So I had your appointment object, shuffle that appointment, and we have a call in two minutes. He, by the way, here it is. Let me connect you guys. Boom. Now you're talking to Dr. Jones. So it, would, guess who's sitting? so it would speed up the whole process of it getting access for patients to get to their, their care provider. Yeah. And, and, and what we would might call the administrative shuffle of making all these appointments happening and connecting all this data together is taken out. 
supplanted by, in a sense, technology. Am I correct? All the drudgery of that work is removed and the intelligent X-ray has been programmed as an object. But that the, uh, the X-ray knows that it's part of the visit. X-ray knows that its, it's yeah. sister is that blood test. It's part of the visit. They may have done a blood test. They may have done a bunch of other stuff. But that becomes a super component like your liver. And each yeah. one of those objects are intelligent. We can build that technology today using LLM and traditional logic. Okay, and that's the architecture that we propose, and we call that object messaging and intelligent. And, and is that is that the same thing as Amadeus? If I go to your website or right. the that's name right. of what you're talking about, that's right. And, uh, Amadeus actually is a project management tool built based on this model, because right. every software needs to be rewritten, right? So and I love the, I love the analogy regarding the, the healthcare situation, and and I love you being able to sort of think about this very. Um, system-wise and holistically, you know, that the, the cell knows what it is and how it connects and communicates to all the other cells. It doesn't need anybody else to communicate for it. It's doing it that's inside. Right. And that's what it's that's right. analogy you're creating. By the way, I always thought this is like conversation. This is uh, parenthetic to what we were talking about. Years ago, I remember being over at Mayo Clinic and they were saying, radiologists, guess what, friends? You're probably, those of you who are sitting in those rooms for hours on end, in those reading the charts, <laughs> your days are probably numbered. And I think what you're saying is that 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 technology is going to be reading these charts versus human. Yeah, beings. am I correct? Well, to- that's that's already that's already happening. Actually, yeah. the, today, you know, you can as an as a doctor, you can the X-ray is taken, you can print that, or you can to somehow dig- digitally email that to the Mayo Clinic. The Mayo Clinic will take that digital form. And then this, they, they, amongst all the emails or whatever they got, when it's your turn, they feed it to that and they get that natural uh, report and attach it to it. Email it back to your office. And whenever the, uh, the nurse, whoever has got that and they, you print it and you start reading it, see, that is a lot of uh, administrative work. Whereas in the case that we're talking, the x-ray has all the intelligence. The X-ray yeah. knows that this is his program. That once what's what's his program, it feeds itself to the uh, to the uh, um, engine in Mayo Clinic over the network. But it reads the report. It understands that it's cancerous. Then it knows immediately it needs to come to you, and it knows that okay, based on my programming, you're just a primary doctor, but we're allowed to kind of get a specialist. And I set up that phone conference, and you guys are sitting there talking just like this. But I, as the X-ray, I'm sitting there listening. Watch. Yes. And by the way, I'll record that video for you and I'll keep it in my back pocket so you don't have to store it in some folder. And six months later, when I show up in your box for whatever reason, you're busy, you've got all kinds of stuff happening. It's like, what are you? It's like, well, you know, on that x-ray, you don't remember. Um, you know, you, you had a conference with Dr. Jones about this. And by the way, this is what you said about me. Would you like to see that five seconds of that video? Like, here it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I recall it from my memory and I'll show it to you. And you can interact with it using natural language because that, that is the whole magic of the large language models. So you've created this object that's an X-ray that has structured data that defines it and it keeps channels of communication of people talking to each other, but it holds that communication. It understands that because it's natural language, because it understands natural language. All it right, keeps so track of the meat. Let me, because let I, I know if I just let you go, you're going to go off for a long time on anything. So I interrupt yeah, yeah, that's so I apologize because you're so passionate. I love it. So translate this into a non-medical environment, something that is more 
common for people. Like, for example, you know, some organizations work with Workday or other types of, you know, integrated project management systems to be able to connect HR's work with payroll, with, you know, you know, all of these different components that that take to, to run a mid to large size business. How would your particular process enhance that? Well, we're going to go through a uh, kind of a transition phase because what we've done traditionally, we've been based on these form-based models that are very rigid and we've automated these paper forms, right? So all these software, that the, one you, the ones you mentioned, they may have some cute user interfaces and they've maybe rearranged these forms in interesting ways and they, you know, they've, they've given it shapes and forms and folders and trash cans and you know, uh, lights that flash. <laughs> But right. there's still those dead forms. They're not intelligent, okay? And so we're going to have to go through a transition phase, which is going to be a complex transition phase. But I'm going to relate this to an, an average audience, okay? So here's, yeah, here's what's the, the application of, so what do you do with this, this, this thing when you first log in, right? When you first so get for in, those of you, who are, we're actually I'm audio, so phone. what he's holding yeah. up is a phone, an iPhone, or, or maybe a, an Android. Yeah, that's right, an Android. So first thing is that when you get in, you're going to have to decide which app to use, right? Correct. So let's, let's say, I, I mean, I'm hung, hungry. So I first, I click on my diet app and I look at them and see, oh, well, I had the fish yesterday in my diet app. I have to navigate through it. So you right, click right. through because it. And it's, oh, it says I have to should have chicken. And then, okay, well, I got to order myself some chicken. Uh, so, okay, well, like, well, how much money do I have? I click on my uh, budget app to see. Yeah. So I'm navigating around trying to figure out where, so I, as a human, I know what I want to do. I'm hungry and I want to just eat some food, right? And I have my desires. Now I have to go through and figure out how to work, navigate, workflow through all these apps. Fast forward to the object messaging intelligence app, and we can build that for you today. That technology, what we're proposing using the chat GPT type of language. And if we re-architect these apps using our architecture, here's the scenario. I hold the phone up and I say, I'm hungry. And it comes out and says, well, your diet app says you had uh, fish yesterday and it's the, you can eat chicken. And, and by the way, here's like three choices. Um, the, the chicken McNugget and Kentucky Fried Chicken and uh, another type of fast food chicken. Yeah. Uh, and I'm looking on the screen. I'm going, wait a minute. Uh, I want something fancier. What is this? I'm not going to eat fast food. So what we can't afford anything fancier. We don't have that in the budget. Well, what budget? Oh, it is. Look, flowers, and I can see on the screen, $50, uh, $10 lunch, you know, 15 for transportation. Go, whoa, 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 flowers, $50? Like, yeah, you know, it's your girlfriend's uh, birthday next week. Uh, no, 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 no. Take, take $10, $50 off of that and put it on my lunch and give me some other options. Uh, okay. Here's the F25. Here's three new options. You know, oh, yeah, these are fancier. Give me the second one. Okay, I'm calling Uber for you because it's a little far. And, okay. And everything's done it all for you. Yeah, that's right. That's the difference. Okay. The difference is that now the users are removed from the drudgery of navigating through these apps. And so the Intel, similar to a movie uh, uh, called Her, which came out I about 10 years ago. Movie. That was a great uh, you, movie. I, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Like, um, um, uh, and it was a fantastic movie. And so now that's the ideal that we're trying to push through. And that's the technology. Now in the, in the workplace, if this object messaging and intelligent object architecture is implemented in any software 
that software becomes intelligent and the humans connect to that software and they don't have to worry about routing information. They don't have to, they become, if you're a project manager, for example, in our system, the AS is a project manager system. If you're a salesperson, you just come in and your customer asks you, oh, I want this XYZ feature. I want to like this red, you know, red button that flashes three times on the screen, whatever. You just come in there and you just create that object and you say, hey, this is a feature request and whatever. And you describe it as, and it knows that you created it, that you created it. That becomes an intelligent object. And it flows directly to the triage area of the in the inbox of the project manager, and pops up says, "I am here. I am. This is a request." And you could read the specification that it was written, and and you can say, "No, no, no. This is not." And the sales guy says, "It's high priority. You're looking at all your tasks." You go, "No, no, no. I'm just going to bring the priority to low." And by the way, I'm going to push it off to a month later. I'm busy. Go away to my backlog. Guess what? The minute you do that, that object comes back to me as a sales guy and says, "Hey." I got news for you. Like, what is it? Like, well, you know, Dean put me in the backlog for a month and he lowered my priority. So what? Wait a minute. Dean, I start talking to the object where I actually <laughs> click on the button and say, let's have a conference call, the two of us. And you yeah. pick it up and you're chatting and the object is listening. And so, no, no. And we don't agree. And say, so, okay, we don't agree. Guess what? I'll ju- I'm just going to tell the object, go tell my boss. Uh, I just mentioned my boss saying, hey, you know, I've got a million dollar sales waste on this. And that object all of a sudden shows up in front of my boss, my boss and says, hey, and my boss is busy. He doesn't pay attention to stuff and says, what do you want? Oh, oh this is a sales guy. And, and ask the object saying, there's a whole lot of conversation in here. Just summarize it. Give me the highlight. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> sales guy, boom, 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 boom. And I go, wait a minute. So, I've, so this is how the intelligent object becomes the uh, gopher, the intelligent button. So, and it knows the workflow. It knows where to go. It knows the stakeholder, right? It keeps all the so information itself. So let me interrupt again. Sorry. So um, I've often thought that the people who really run a business today and probably yesterday were the admin. This sounds like very disruptive for administrative assistant, meaning that the role that they had played in the past may be gone based on the technology you're, you're suggesting. Why would we need a secretary, administrative assistant, a VA? If we have all of this, well, it's hard, Dean. It's hard to predict exactly what, it, but- what functions are going to get. But but what's going to happen if you just kind of from a high level point of view, if you think about the technology and the workflow automation inside an organization to be the nervous system of that organization, and humans are attached as intelligent nodes to the end of these uh, nervous systems. We humans are not good at routing information. We can't scale mm. because what if, if, so that's why email is such a disaster. It promised to be a panacea, but it, become, it became a Pandora's box. Because if, if there are three of us in a company and we make chairs and, you know, I cut the wood, you nail it, and somebody else paints it, email works. Because if I have information about paint, I want some, something red, oh, okay, I'll just send it to Joe. If it's about nailing it, I'll send it to D. But the minute we're four, five, six people now, Every human has to process the information to figure out how to route it. Right. Not only routing it, but also route it in, in time. Because I may have information that I know I got to send it to you, but I sit on it for 10 minutes. And then now all of a sudden, now I've got a traffic jam. Imagine companies you know, with hundreds of pe- people. That's why we've experimented with email. We went to things like Slack and Microsoft Team. And these, those solved some of the problem, but actually they, they're complicated because they can't really map the workflow. 
I won't get into that. I've actually written a paper on this called the workflow-based automation, which is really the other side of AI. And that was published by IEEE a couple of years ago. And it's about optimize, uh, optimizing the workflow communication. And as it turns out that you need AI to do, but you need to change your model of communication and you need to go back to the software. See, right now you have information in email, you have information in Microsoft Team or Slack, and you have information in the software. So if I, as a sales guy, came in and I had a nice order, I had to go to our software and, and write in, we need 50 of these and the radio of this type and uh, two of them read and I save the button. You save and then I know it goes into the order. area. But I just go to my email and say, hey, Joe, this is a very important order. I got you, come, you know, I'll, I'll buy a drink or whatever. If you cover this and by the way, it's important. Now, because natural language is how we carry a lot of subtle information. But traditional software carries information in structured fashion, right? So it's really the model we're presenting saying, look, keep the traditional software, but turn them into intelligent objects, just like the biological bot, identify all those critical entities and make them smart about themselves, make them self-aware and give them an LLM so they can talk to humans, but also to each other. So these objects can talk to each other no more with APIs. They can talk using natural language. So that way you have this flexibility of changing your code all the time. And I, as a programmer, don't have to tell you, well, you know, I, you, my API changed. Uh, no, this object is intelligent. Your objects can talk to it using natural language. Your system becomes a collection of intelligent objects, just like mm -hmm. our body. That, like, for example, in our system, all these features and all these bugs that get bundled together as a what's called a sprint. And sprint is an agile form of, uh, of development. It just matches the, the model. It's like a package that you develop in one week. And the collection of these packages, all of them together, make the object, the project object. And the project object is aware of everything that's happening. I can talk to the project object and say, hey, what happened to you? So it says, yeah, I had these five spreads. And, or I could say, look, who, what's holding you back? And that project object sends the message to all the sprints. The sprint will send the message to all their uh, children, the, all features and bugs. And all the ones that are problematic, they follow up to the top. And then the, the big project says, hey, yeah. I got this feature that's holding back and I got these three bugs that are waiting. And, and this is why, you know, James is so slow on working on this issue. So the project basically is this big brain and then they communicate in a uh, hierarchical fashion, similar to the biological body, right? Where the message from the brain goes uh, in a different way. Liver, liver. Yeah, that's right. Let me ask you one more question here because it, we could take two or three podcasts to get through all of this. I know this uh, episode. That's how is this going to, I know, right? Um, how is this going to change education? When we have kids going to school or we have young adults going to college, how is this going to radically affect the way in which we, we learn and adapt? Because I know that we've talked to, to some higher education organizations and they're making this a big deal. Certainly, as we all know, that you know, it used to be the days when you could be afraid about the fact that ChatGPT or something very bold to it would um, you know, write papers for these kids and plagiarism would be the issue. Now, I think organizations are leading into it and are trying to teach people how to ask better prompts and so forth. Um, but how is this in, in, in general going to change education? I, I think it's going to make education really, the impact is going to be amazing. Where in the traditional educational system, I have always had problems with that. You know, my kids used to come home and say, we hate school. And, you know, we, yeah, I had 
kind of small argument with my wife because she would always say, no. And I said, well, why shouldn't they hate school? I hated school. You just <laughs> go in there in a room, sit there with uh, 20 other kids, and then you listen to some, you know, adult just yak for an hour, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, well, that's not fun, you know? Like, it's, and, you know, you're sitting there, they're talking in this at the same level to 40 different humans or 20 different humans. Oh, it's different interests. Different talents, different way of absorbing information, right. different type of focus, different type of attitude, uh, background, and, and how they felt that day. You're going to have custom teachers for each student, patient to, to the nth degree. Will we, will we still have it, live human beings teaching, or will this all be virtual? I think we're going to slow, there, there's going to be the t- transition phase. We're going to basically make these AI machines that, that are kind of collaborative. And in, then in, in with humans. As, as, with humans, of course. I think humans are always going to be, because at the end of the day, it's about human, right? It's, uh, in, I, I won't get into the philosophical part of it, but that's a big discussion. Different, if they different do another episode. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> different episode. But, um, I mean, you know, I very quickly, I, I, I tell you, like, you know, we're really part of an evolutionary chain and human manifest destinies to give rise to the next species. And that's what we're doing. And the next species is not, not going to be just a machine. It's going to be augmented human. And just like, you know, just like this, this, this phone augments me, but the interface okay. is clunky, right? Right now, and I'm describing a better type of interface. We just talked to it, natural language, right? Right, right. But ultimately, what Elon Musk is kind of envisioning is maybe even through our neurons, we get connected to it and just so literally. And what's the difference? What's the difference between that and sitting in a car and driving? I mean, I'm not running, you know, is, is the car me? Is it that a human? A lot of people actually, when they, see, they get behind the car, they change completely. That's, you know, we, you know, it's the attitude. Yeah, that's right. But then you're still a human. The human is there. No, even with the self-driving, you're still a human sitting in the car. The car doesn't want to, doesn't have anywhere to go by itself. It's you who wants to go somewhere. So right. does that mean the human is useless just because you sit in the car now? Now you get to just enjoy the view, not be stressed about driving, and, and the number of accidents are going to go to zero. That's the future of AI automation in every company. Because All right, so let's so do it then. Let's do this. Let's yeah. leave it at that because I got, I, I, I'm running yeah. out of time here. But it's a great ending. Let me just ask one final question as we tie off here. How can people uh, connect with you? You mentioned your paper. You talked about uh, this platform, Amadeus. Just give us some basics about how to connect with you. We actually, if you're interested in this uh, uh, technology, we are given uh, uh, doing uh, free webinars on okay. a biweekly basis. And we talk about the technology, the object messaging, how to program these things, how to kind of have a different way of uh, writing programs. and uh, www.omadeus.com is the website. There's lots of resources there. There are a lot of prior podcasts of different types I've done. And there's, you can actually sign up and get access to the papers that I've written that are actually published by IEEE. Uh, that will really kind of uh, educate uh, uh, and inform people about the, uh, the depth of this technology. Fantastic. Really, a really interesting topic. Very timely. I feel like we're at a precipice of a tremendous change. You know, you mentioned back in the 1900s when we were, you know, getting involved with automation, and I was we reminded of I think it was it Winslow Taylor. You know, who was sort of the mm-hmm. the father of a 
of, of modern management. I think we're going through another one of those major transitions in terms of how we do work and how we how we work together in in, in work and education is going to change us. It's, it's obviously a huge shift, but so much appreciate your energy and insights and and one. Uh, can I add one comment? One comment yeah, yeah. is, is to, to people out there is it's actually you know it, they should be excited about it because this new machine, the the expertise that you need is your own personality and your inquisitiveness because you can interact with it using natural language. It's not complicated with all the coding and whatnot. You yeah. can become an expert on this thing better than a lot of other programmers by just examining and interacting with these tools and understanding their personality and figuring out how to get what you want out of it. Well said. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.